travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today. It's time to break out the big white suit because we're celebrating the 40th anniversary and re-release of the Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense. Today's show is sponsored by Big White Suit Dry Cleaning Service. Hello. Hi, I'm picking up. It's It's been here for a while. Give me a sec. Okay, I found it right here. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Okay, you got it. Thank Very you. Very good. Have a great day. With me today is longtime Stuck in the 80s collaborator and cartoonist Doug Arthur. Say hi to Stuck in the 80s Nation, Doug. Hello, Stuck in the 80s Nation. Doug, what thoughts first went through your head when you saw the promo video for the re-release of this movie by Talking Heads? I thought it was uh, really cute, um, a, a really uh, kind of fun way to reintroduce the, the film. Um, obviously, I'm very excited uh, to see it on, uh, again on the big screen, um, and, and it's getting a nice uh, you know 4K facelift. Um, and, and, you know, I really love, love this movie, you know, when it came out, I was a huge talking heads fan. Um, and I did not get a chance to see them perform live, uh, as a band. Um, and, uh, so this movie was the only way I've ever been able to see them perform live in a way. Um, so it, it, it's an important film, uh, for me as, as a fan, um, and and just uh, you know always excited to see it on the big screen for those out there who don't remember Doug uh Doug's been a collaborator with the podcast for years you've been listening for what 15 years now uh at, at least I, the Jeez. the first episode i listened to was the Stan Ridgeway interview uh, episode 55 so wow. it was probably like after your first year had already been under your belt uh yeah, it was yeah. i think it was around 2007 or 2008 when i first you know came came to the show I used to, I remember getting nauseous the night before talking to Stan. <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't really an interviewer at that time in my life. Right. I, had, I hadn't done any and certainly not with any celebrities and the prospect of interviewing him. I, I remember the, the first three or four interviews I did, I, I was just sick to my stomach. I can believe it, but he's so, he's so down to earth. I've met mm. him a couple, I've met him a couple of times. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I've gone to see him pre- uh, pl- uh, play a few times and um, he's always, you know, so nice and generous with his time, 
you know, afterwards signing autographs and uh, really all around nice guy. Bands of the Talking Heads probably remember too. Uh, episode 486. Yes, 486 from 2018. Doug was on the show. We talked about true stories. Yeah, I I can't believe it's been five years already. Uh, it really feels like you know um, last year that we did that show, but it was yeah. five years ago already. Yeah. Um, yeah, true stories had just come out on the Criterion Collection. So here's what we know about "Stop Making Sense." The new soundtrack is due out August 18th. Um, the film we thought would be due about the same time. It's a little vague still. It could be sometime in the late summer. It could be early fall. It is supposed to be 4K. And I think what I thought was so refreshing is it's just nice to see David Byrne kind of embracing his talking heads past. Yeah. You know, for a while there, he really didn't. He was kind of actively, you know, I'm never playing talking heads music again. And I, I remember seeing him uh, perform a, a, one of his solo shows, probably like 1989 or so that they hadn't officially broken up yet, but they you know, they weren't doing anything new together. Um, and, you know, he didn't, he played like one talking head song. It was all his, you know, like uh, salsa music and yeah. which, which I liked, I enjoyed it, but it was, you know, um, you know, and, and it's funny, the one song that he played was Papa Legba off of True Stories, um, which, <laughs> you know, not one of their more popular songs. Sure, no. uh, so, um, so he, yeah, it, it, uh, but it seems like each time I've seen him since then, he kind of adds a little bit more talking heads music to his repertoire. So here's what we know about Stop Making Sense. And a lot of these things are uh, items that if you're a fan of the band, you probably already know a little bit of that. If, you, if you've never seen this before, by the way, by all means, go out and see the 4K version. Or if you're, if you're feeling a little skittish about spending a couple of hours with the talking heads in a dark movie theater, pretty much all the videos from this concert movie are on YouTube. I watched them all over the last <clears throat> week, several times over. Right. But... When it comes to this particular movie, it was shot in Hollywood at the, was it Pantages Theater? Yep, the Pantages Theater. In December of 83, it was during their Speaking in Tongues tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those kind of still new to Talking Heads, that was their fifth album, still their most successful to date. Uh, It has a lot of the songs that maybe if you're a casual fan, you're, you're used to hearing, such as Burning Down the House. Yeah. The uh, uh, the concert also included some songs by Tom Tom Club, which was the side project for uh, Chris France and Tina Weymouth. It yeah. also included two songs from uh, Burns' soundtrack album, The Catherine Wheel. Yeah, The Catherine Wheel was uh, was kind of a neat collaboration he did with uh, Twyla Tharp, the famed uh, choreographer on Broadway. Um, and this turned out to be the last tour that they did together. Um, you know, and we could go into you know, the background on that at, at another time, uh, <laughs> because there's, there's a lot to, to go through there, but, but, you know, I, I think David, David Burns famously said that he didn't think he could top 
stopped making sense as a, as a tour, so he didn't want to tour again. Um, which, of course, didn't turn out to be true because he wound up touring solo later uh, <laughs> in his career. But this was the last time that the Talking Heads toured. Let's talk about the director for a minute. Jonathan Demme, who we yep. lost in 2017. We kind of got to start in the 70s with the exploitation films, uh, Caged Heat, Hot Box, working with producer Roger Corman. Yep. Um, probably earned his spurs in 1980 with Melvin and Howard, scored a couple of Oscar yep. nods. And then here's what's an odd thing. He gets the, based on Melvin and Howard, he gets the directing job for Swing Shift, which I don't know if you've seen. You know, I remember it coming out. I never, I never saw it. I heard it wasn't very good. Um, and in fact, uh, I was, you know, I just finished reading Chris France's memoir, um, you know, Remain in Love, which came out a couple of years ago. And he talks about, he actually talks about that. Um, Swing Shift was a very contentious um, shoot and he wanted to do something different, um, which is one of the reasons he approached um, talking heads to do the documentary about their, about their tour. Um, Cause he was a big fan. Um, but as it turned out, um, he was stuck doing reshoots for swing shift during the uh, production of stop making sense. So he wasn't always on set uh, when they were filming the, the, the concerts. Yeah. yeah. Obviously he goes on to a lot of amazing projects like, you know, something wild, I think is the one that always jumps to mind. Silence of the lambs, Philadelphia. Yeah, those are all, all great movies, all yeah. great movies. You mentioned the shoot. And I think it's interesting to note that from what I read, that they shot it over four nights. And they each night they would reposition the cameras. So they would shoot the entire show from from one particular angle point and just and did that over four straight nights so that instead of having 20 cameras on stage, they minimized the number of cameras to, to so that it wouldn't, you know be such a distraction and it wouldn't screw with the energy of either the, the band or the audience. Yeah. And it, you know, it helped, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it really had, they really had to be careful with the, uh, you know, their continuity. Um, they all wore the same uh, outfits every, every night, um, you know, and they had, they would have to, you know, uh, do their laundry <laughs> in between shows uh to do that what what's interesting to note is that uh warner brothers who was the talking heads label at the time uh did not want to fund the movie so the band found funding on their own for the first three nights uh but they realized that they were going to need a fourth night and they eventually did get warner brothers to fork you know fork up some money uh for for that fourth night um uh, so, so they, they were involved slightly, but that's one of the reasons why this movie is, is hard to, f hard to find, um, on, on video, especially because, um, it, talking heads themselves pretty much own the movie. Um, so it, it, they're, they're kind of in control of its distribution. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see that's coming out from, you know, uh, the label, uh, the, the film studio that's re-releasing it is a 24, which, um, is probably most famous these days. Uh, it, it's a fairly new 
studio with probably within the last 10 years. Um, and they're, they're mainly known for horror movies. Um, so I, stuff like Midsummer and, um, you know, Pearl and a few other, they've, they've done a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of fairly well-regarded horror movies, but they're a little more kind of hipster, uh, highbrow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's kind of interesting. This is, this seems to be a little bit of a departure for them. Uh, um, but it, you know, they'll, they, they seem like they'll put the right marketing touch behind it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally kind of f- keep my fingers crossed for an IMAX, uh, release when it finally comes out. Cause I would, I would love to see it on a, a super huge screen like that. Uh, speaking of super huge, let's address the elephant in the room, <laughs> the big white suit. Uh, I think, I think if there's any person on this earth, who's more tired of talking about one item of clothing, it's got to be David Byrne. <laughs> I would think so. But and and but we'll let him do it. Uh, when this movie came out, uh, he was on Letterman. And it's a very, it's a very shy and reclusive version of David Byrne in in this clip. But uh, David Letterman asked him about the big white suit, and and here's uh, how David Byrne answered him. Explain the giant, the jumbo suit. <laughs> Family size. I, uh, it was an inspiration I had when I was in Japan, and a, a man over there told me, you know, in the theater, everything should be a little bit bigger than real mm-hmm. life. And he was referring to, I think, gestures and the way you talk and whatnot. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, <laughs> that solves my costume problem right there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, it, uh, again, visually, it's very effective. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Any idea where that suit is nowadays? I've seen it. It's uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, wow. Yeah, they I, they have an, uh, one of their exhibits there is, you know, costumes and, you know, you can see lots of cool costumes. They've got, you know, Ziggy Stardust costume and, um, you know, uh, they've got the, you know, uh, Devo uh, yellow radiation suits um, and they have the big white suit from Stop Making Sense. talk a little bit about the context of the movie i sure. i've always been a fan of it and i am not a theater i'm not a theater major i didn't study film history right in sure sure so a lot of what i rely on to kind of help me fill in the blanks you know are some of the documentaries that are done and i saw one the other day where it said try not to think of this as a concert film try to think of it as a musical mm. and here's why and, it, and this makes a whole lot of sense. When you go back and watch it now, right. think of it as a musical and rewatch it with this in mind. All the attention is on the stage at all times. Unlike just about every other concert film we've ever seen. There are no backstage interviews. There's no footage of them behind this curtain. There are no right. shots of the audience until the very end. Right. And then there are moments that are reminiscent of famous musical scenes in the 1951 musical Royal Wedding. Fred Astaire famously dances with a hat stand. 
Yes. In Stop Making Sense, David Byrne dances with a lamp. And if you watch the choreography side by side, it's eerily similar. Uh, and and that and there's no su- real uh, surprise in that. You know, David Byrne has has said as much in interviews that I've read over the years that you know he was inspired by that scene. It works beautifully in the film. It's one of my favorite scenes in the in the movie, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there's there's uh, it's a very theatrical presentation. Uh, one of the things we 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 didn't mention was that you know the the movie itself, the concert starts with a completely barren stage, just empty, and David Byrne walks out with a like a, a boombox and and a an acoustic guitar, and that's how the movie starts. Um, and then each song they just slowly add you know, more and more, they, they build the stage and, and more performers. So the second song, Tina comes out, they do a song together. Then they bring out the drum riser and it's the original three talking heads uh, do a song together. And then Jerry comes out. So it's almost like a chronology of the band itself. Um, You know, they play some of their earliest songs, you know, psycho killers amongst the earliest songs they ever wrote as a band. And, uh, they just slowly build and keep adding, you know, you get Bernie Worrell comes out, uh, you know, famously from Parliament Funkadelic, um, uh, Alex Weir, extra guitar player, Steve Scales, uh, an amazing percussionist, um, you know, and you've got the 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 two background singers, um, uh, Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt, uh, who are just uh, you know, a joy to watch on, on screen. Uh, and it's, it, it just builds, you know, the whole thing builds. Uh, and, uh, you know, finally, you know, you kind of get the, the curtain kind of comes down, the backdrop kind of comes down behind the band and it's all before you know it, you have like a full stage, but it started off with just this empty, huge, empty space um, and an acoustic guitar, basically it, it, it's, it's really kind of fun to watch. There's a, there's a, definite progression to it um and from what i understand uh david byrne when he conceived of that he he actually kind of cribbed a a few things from uh and i'll probably get this wrong but i think it was a playwright uh robert wilson um who he actually wound up doing some work with um that year he put out an album called music for the knee plays which is basically uh these parts of the play in between scenes where um, they basically close the curtain, but do another scene in front of the curtains um, while they build behind them and then reopen the curtain so that, um, you know, the, the stage is always being used. And so I, I think he, he kind of took something away from that, you know, from that experience and, and, you know, kind of use it. To, so it's, it's very, a very theatrical um, show and it the and and the lighting um is another uh kind of way that they um you know helped make this look like more than just a concert film you know they lit it very theatrically and they actually had when Jonathan Demi came in on the project they actually redid the lighting for film because they quickly realized that lighting for theater and lighting for film are not the same uh, and, and wouldn't look the same, uh, you know, on film. So, um, so they actually kind of re redid, um, 
you know, reconfigured all of the lighting for film. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be in the audience seeing that, not, not knowing what's going to hit you and you know, that there's nothing on stage. It's empty. Like right. you, you start to wonder if you're at the right place <laughs> and, right? and you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe the, the tour truck is late, you know, maybe the plane got, you know, snowed in somewhere. Uh, and then to have this happen, I mean, then at some point it probably clicks with them that, okay, this is intentional. And right. I really should be, I really should be paying closer attention. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it becomes, I think, I think that becomes a little more obvious when, uh, when they roll out the, the, the drum riser, uh, you know, when, when Chris France comes out for the third song, um, you know, that, then it becomes more apparent. You're like, oh, okay. They're building, they're building the set as they go along and um you know they finally have the full assortment of people you know about six or seven songs in um and and that's when the movie not that the movie wasn't moving at that point but that's when it really kind of kicks into you know higher gear um for me you know it really uh, just starts to uh you know there's just so much joy on the stage about my favorite moments i think about life during wartime yeah the whole band running in place yeah and then i think of slippery people especially the breakdown with burn and the backup singers to oh me, right like, i, I could listen to that every day for the rest of my life where they're kind of doing air guitar with each other yes. and yes. yeah yeah that's a that's a great <laughs> that's a great little moment There's, there's several highlights. I think uh, Once in a Lifetime is probably my favorite performance. Uh, Life During Wartime is is also great. I mean, he does that great uh, bit where he's literally running around the stage, like in circles, um, you know, behind the, behind the drummer and, and everything. It's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And I also liked, uh, you know, as we mentioned, um, This Must Be the Place, um, where they kind of quiet things down a little bit and he you know he dances with the lamp and it's just a, a such a pretty song uh, you know it, it really is kind of a nice in a nice spot Well, the critics agree with us uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a site we love to quote for for what reasons I have no idea. Sure, why but not? <laughs> Stop Making Sense has an approval rate of one hundred percent. 
It's hard to beat that. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to beat that. Uh, you know, I think I think if the I think if the movie came out today, uh, you know that that approval rating might go down because there's always contrarians out there. Um, but um, I, you know, there's a reason it gets cited as one of the best concert films ever made. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just really well done. Um, you know, so much talent uh, in that. Um, you know, uh, I don't. I, I don't know if we forgot to mention um, the cinematographer on this was uh, Jordan Cronenwaith, who uh, is a very famous cinemato- cinematographer who worked with uh, Jonathan Demme on several of his films. Along with you know, he's done tons of great movies. But uh, just prior to Stop Making Sense, uh, he was the cinematographer on Blade Runner. Um, so you know, it's one of the reasons this movie looks as good as it does because. When you have a top-notch cinematographer like that, um, cap, you know, capturing your <laughs> your event, um, you know, it's going to look great, and it it really does. You know, it 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 just it looks luminous in some spots where there's just so many different layers of light. Uh, it, it it's an amazing look. So much so that in 2012, the film was selected for preservation uh, by the Library of Congress. You know, which as their films that they put into the national film registry as right, being sure. culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So that's, that is something to wear as a badge of honor. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I certainly agree with that. <laughs> you know, what else is a badge of honor around here? The, the Seggies. Hey, it's time for our new Seggy Spin Me Round. We will play a portion of a significant 80s song backwards. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. You have one by now, I'm sure, right, Doug? I actually don't. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, well. I, I don't know, have one either I, for its worth. I, oh. I, 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 there are a lot of times where I like I know the answer, but I I, I forget to write in. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but uh it it's it's uh it's totally fine uh i know <laughs> at some point i will get one cast your mind back to episode 670 here was the mystery clip that's last christmas by wham Should have been a dead giveaway because the entire episode was about Wham, but you you would think so. <laughs> only two people, two people got it right. Wow, leads me to believe that either it was too difficult or nobody nobody listened to that episode. <laughs> um, I I'm really bad at these. I suck at, at trying to understand. I mean, unless I know the song ahead of time, I can't I can't hear it. You know, it 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 can be difficult to listen to something backwards and try to. You know your your brain has to be uh, wired just right, I think, to or to um, wired to just recognize wrong. it, or or, or yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, the winners, uh, <laughs> the two people who got it right, Jeff and Charity in Virginia, and uh, Sweet Lou Greeley in St. Pete. I'm pretty sure they both have already have postal friendly bottle openers. But hey, guys, if you don't, uh, email us with your postal address, and we'll get right on it. Brad had just told me. Brad's not here today, by the way. I guess you guys have figured that one out. He is in Oklahoma City helping his mom pack up her house because she's uh, moving, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any more information than that. Well, you know, I, I've 
I just went through that myself uh, a couple of years ago with with my mom. So uh, I can empathize and uh, hope that uh, it goes smoothly for Brad. Yeah. He's, uh, I know um, my mom is turns eight, 81 this year. So yeah, she's already in a building for seniors. So yeah. I don't know where, where you go from there. Yeah, my my mom's going to be eighty six, and wow, uh, yeah. and it's like, you know, she, uh, you know, up until my father passed uh, in twenty nineteen, you know, um, they were they were still in the the house that I grew up in. So, oh. <laughs> um, but once I had kind of made the decision to get remarried, um, you know, she knew that she couldn't live on her own anymore. So, um. You know, we had to we had to find a place for her, um, but um, but she's doing doing pretty well, and I I know it's a tough it's a hard thing to go through. So yeah. um, definitely, uh, you know, hopefully everything goes well, and Brad will be back uh, next time. He'll be back for the next episode. Then he's got a bunch of travel scheduled, so don't be surprised if there's more uh, guest hosts in the near future. Um, God, none of these were problems when we started out 18 years ago. <laughs> Well, you know, time marches on. Back then, my mom used to actually listen to the show from time to time. And so that kind of, knowing that kind of kind of gets in your head a little bit. And you're like, well, oh, yeah. shoot, maybe I shouldn't share some of these stories. But <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if she was just saying that to keep me honest. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery backward song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Hey, it's time for our our resurrected Seggy, take this job and shove it. Yeah, most people, I guess, have figured out by now I was laid off. I guess it's been this, today is the third week since I was laid off. Oh, my. As, as we speak. I think... It was July 19th. I remember that. And what updates do I have? I probably apply for five jobs a day on LinkedIn. Mm. And I finally found out today that I have an interview coming up at the end of the month. All right. For a uh, certain very powerful player in the entertainment industry that happens to have a significant presence in Orlando. And I'll leave it at that. Wow. Well, I, uh- Okay, I won't speculate, but I think I have an idea. Yeah. So, so, I've, so I've it's, been there many times. <laughs> but yeah, in the meantime, I'm sitting there. I'm still working on writing the Stuck in the '80s book. I, I wrote a chapter and a half today. In fact, it's weird. The chapter I wrote today was about moving to Orlando and having Brad come on as a as the new co-host and the challenges that we had trying to figure out uh, software because up until then we'd always record the podcast in person. You know, right. Right, in the same in the same studio, but now new new co-hosts, and we were doing it on different coasts, and yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to shake all those memories from my head and, th- and throw it in, <laughs> into a Google Doc. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but in the meantime, we asked people to send in their stories of work troubles or job issues over the years. We got a good one today from Jeff Y in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Uh, uh, Jeff writes, "Hey guys." I worked for a translation company in New York at the start of the 90s. I was a project manager and was responsible for taking on projects, matching them with the right translators, 
getting the project back and making sure all the formatting was right before it was returned to the client. Without naming the company, thank you, I will just say that they were a startup owned by a young married couple who were pretending that they were not a couple. They hired me as a freelance worker with the hopes that I would stay with them and help them grow the company. I did because it sounded like a good growth opportunity. Right before Christmas one year, I stayed late on a Friday night working on a project primarily in Polish for a company that was due uh, Monday morning. They thanked us for staying late. When I got in on Monday morning, they told me I was being laid off due to supposedly a lack of business in my specific languages, primarily German and French. They couldn't have told me this on Friday night and spared me the $12 round-trip train ticket to the city. The two of them went on to become millionaires with the company and became the major translation player in the field. And needless to say, they never bothered following up with me when business picked up. Later on, they seemed to have a very acrimonious divorce and public spat over the fate of the company. Um, They deserved exactly what they got. Jeff Y., Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Yeah. Wow. Wow, That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Gee whiz. (laughs) That happened to me in my first job. I found out ahead of time that I had quit my job. Okay. So I'd given him two weeks notice. This was at a business journal, which I don't, for those not familiar with business journals, they're like weekly little tabloids right? that pay their writers the bare minimum. <laughs> I think I was making 17,000 a year Oof. and uh, this was 1989, but yeah, that's and, not um, so bad in 1989, but I had quit the job to take a better job at a daily newspaper in Jacksonville. So I put in my two weeks and I found out that the boss was going to let me come in on a Monday morning and then send me home, you know? So I found out on Friday, I'm like, are you going to send me home on Monday morning? He's And he just turned all red because somebody had, you know, given him up. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, I'll just go home now and, you know, have a nice life. <laughs> so, right. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, I had a similar experience um, when I, I moved to Arizona, uh, you know, to um, to go back to school to get my graphic design degree when I was like 31 or 32. Um, so this was like 1999 and I needed to get a job right away. And I, I wound up getting a job through the school at this electronic store and I won't name it because uh, it's a fairly big, <laughs> fairly big uh, name name brand out out on the west coast it's mostly a west coast store i think um anyway uh i was i worked there about three weeks um it was it was really rough they were the uh, like you couldn't leave the store until you'd been like basically searched um like they didn't want you you know you couldn't you couldn't just clock out and go home you had to wait to get um you know searched to to leave the store like you couldn't leave this it was like being in prison it it was really bad and then the one day i you know um i was late a couple of like maybe five ten minutes uh late to my shift uh partly because i was i had an interview with the the movie theater where i really wanted to work um (laughs) because that was my background at the time i was working in movie theaters and the the manager on duty just you know just totally you know, tore me a new one. And, you know, he had me, he was like, he just had me doing uh building, um, you know, media center displays all day. Um, he was like, 
this is what you're doing today. And I'm like, I actually didn't mind because I like putting stuff together. Um, but I was like, I don't need this, you know, <laughs> I don't need this place. I mean, he talked to me like I was like in kindergarten or something. And, and I, 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 uh, you know, went, uh, I, I took my lunch break and I walked out into the parking lot and that was the last time I, I quit mid shift. Wow. That's <laughs> always fun. I, I had never done anything like that before or since. Um, <laughs> but I was just so, you know, upset because I had actually gotten, you know, I'd actually had the interview and they actually offered me the job. Um, at, at the movie theater. Uh, and, and I actually called them as soon as I left. Cause I told them I had to give two weeks and, and I actually called them from the, from the, uh, you know, from the parking lot, from a payphone back because payphone still existed back then. And, and I said, you know, uh, I can actually start tomorrow if you want me to. <laughs> and so, and so I did. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's always good to have something to go to, I guess, but, yeah. um, you know, that it, it was just, a, it was a horrible soul-sucking job for sure and they they treated us like prisoners it was really bad you mentioned graphic design you've got a new book out right oh yeah yeah i do actually um i and and it's kind of 80s related in a way um yeah uh this year marks the 35th anniversary of my comic strip uh tales from the dug side which which i started while i was uh at the university of buffalo in in 1988 and um I've been I've been publishing my own books since about 1995 or so, um, and I thought for this anniversary I would uh, I would put together a special kind of uh, retrospective collection of of comics from the last 35 years, um, and because I'm a glutton for my own punishment, um, I decided to do uh, everything in full color. So uh, my my work has always been in black and white. Uh, it's certainly cheaper to publish that way, um, but I wanted to do something special. And, and so I wound up doing a hardcover, uh, full color book. I spent about seven months coloring all of the comics. I, I selected about three, 300 or so of my favorite uh, strips. And um, you know, kind of put together this book and uh, it just came out. Um, I just had my f first uh, book signing uh, this last weekend and uh, I've got a, a bunch more lined up mostly here in the, in, in my local area and in, in the Northeast. Um, but I'm, I'm looking to add some more dates, um, you know, uh, this year and, and into early, early into next year as well. Oh, I got my copy already. Yeah. How'd you like it? I love it. <laughs> it's literally sitting like three feet from me right now. So, well, that's great. And, you know, like I said, uh, if you need help with your book uh, at any point, at least on a technical side of things, I'm certainly into, you know, throw some advice your way if you, if you need it. Love it. Love it. Hey, if you have a job story you want to share with us, um, anything to, uh, to brighten the mood or, or, or just make me feel better by comparison, uh, send it to, podcast at sits.com put take this job and shove it in the subject line we'll be right back after this commercial break the sun goes down and the curtain goes up on ktel sundown headlining eddie rabbit country superstars don williams crystal gale and barbara mandrell conway twitty the stadler brothers and willie nelson my heroes have always been cowboys larry gatlin and all the gold 
Sundown. Perfectly in tune with the 80s from k -Tel. Available at these and other fine stores. And we're back. We have just a few minutes left. I know we've mentioned before in this podcast that Stop Making Sense is considered one of the best concert films of all time. You might be curious what some of the other ones are. Rolling Stone did a reader's poll of best concert films back in 2012. Here were their 10. You know, going back from number 10, uh, Bullet in a Bible by Green Day. Number nine was Sign of the Times by Prince. Eight was Shine a Light with the Rolling Stones. Uh, seven was Live at Pompeii by Pink Floyd. Number six is Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. That's their famous uh, Altamont free concert. Yep. Number five, Rattle and Hum by U2, which is odd choice, but whatever. Number four, yeah. Woodstock. That doesn't surprise me. Number three, Stop Making Sense. Interesting. Uh, number two, The Song Remains the Same by Led Zeppelin. And number one, The Last Waltz uh, by the uh, the final performance of the band. Not a bad yeah. list. No, not not terrible. Um, I've actually seen uh, The Last Waltz is actually pretty good. Uh, Martin Scorsese directed that. Um, and the song remains the same. Uh, it's kind of hard to avoid that in my high school. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Zep, uh, Zep heads. Uh, in my high school, uh, I I still think "Stop Making Sense" is the best. Uh, I you know that it's number three. I think is a is a travesty to me, yeah. but uh, but it's in it's in the conversation. In, sure, in this, sure. So. And so it's a readers' poll. I personally, what would I add to this? Uh, Erg, a concert war would be on my would be there. And oh, fantastic movie! That fantastic. that to me that that needs to be in here. And then I know this is an odd pick, but this is it. Uh, the, which is actually the, you know, about Michael Jackson preparing his final series right. of shows. I think right. it's interesting that they were able to put it together, given the fact that you know that those shows never happened. That he died before, the right? Film, you know, before any of it was released. When you watch it, it's just one of those reminders of, you know, how powerful he still was as a performer. Uh, yeah. What would be on your list? Uh well, I mean, Erg is definitely. <laughs> Is definitely on the list. I, in fact, I did an episode about that on my podcast uh, several years ago. But um, it's just it's such a snapshot of new wave and punk music circa 1980. Um, so many great bands uh, performed in that film. Uh, you know, uh, and and even a bunch that you've probably never heard of, but are still cool. You know, fun to watch. Um, you know, uh, Wall of Voodoo, Oingo Boingo, Devo, uh, The Police, um, English Beat, uh, Steel Pulse. Uh, you know, I could go Klaus on. It's, <laughs> yeah, Klaus Nomi. Uh, exactly. It's it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic film. Um, another fun concert film from the 80s that I, I think should be in the conversation is probably Laurie Anderson's Home of the Brave, um, which... Uh, uh, came out around the same same time as uh, Stop Making Sense. I think it was kind of maybe inspired by that, um, and it actually features um, Adrian Ballou, uh was on that tour with her. Um, so he's got a fairly uh, chunky part as her as her guitarist. If people want to find your podcast, where should they look? 
Uh, it's, I, you know, I use, um, Spotify for podcasts. It used to be called anchor. Uh, so I'm out on most like Spotify, Apple podcasts, um, and a whole bunch of others that most people probably don't use, but, um, but it's, it's out there and it's, uh, it's, uh, called Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. It's kind of a tribute to the old, you know, fifties and sixties horror movies that I kind of grew up on, um, as a kid. Uh, so, um, it, it's fun. We talk mostly, uh, pop culture stuff, uh, music movies. I'm actually working on an episode right now, um, about the, uh, trilogy of albums that Robert Fripp did with Peter Gabriel and Daryl Hall, um, in the, in the late seventies. Um, and that's, that's going to be fun. I think, uh, when I finally finish it, it's a, a lot of research, um, is going into that, but, um, but I'm working on that one right now. I hope everyone really kind of takes a chance and goes and sees stop making sense in theaters. I think the 4k experience will make it worth it. If, if you're absolutely if you're not, if you're not sold on talking heads, I think you will be by the time you leave the theater. It's, it's hard. It's hard not to. It's the, the movie is just a joyous explosion of, of, of music. It, it, yes. it really is. Um, you know, it's just a, you know, a delight of sight and sound. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Until we get that release date, Doug and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. <laughs>